Every podcast needs a theme song. And here's mine. Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of Restoring History. I am Mike Kelleher, and on today's show I'm joined by Len Mahalovich, where we're just going to chit-chat a little bit about our new Little Nemo Prince and anything else that comes to our head, and we'll wrap up the show with the news. But first, as always, Kellistration.com, yep, one of the world's leaders in comic restoration, has launched the Master Series of High Quality Art Restorations. And you can order them from Calistration.com. The first set of four 18 by 24 inch prints featuring Windsor McKay's brilliant Little Nemo in Slumberland is available now. Each of these important illustrations were painstakingly restored from the original artboards, giving you for the first time a glimpse at this beautiful art the way it was intended. New prints are available every few months, so check back often, but order now before they sell out at Calistration.com. That's K E. L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-N dot com. All right. I'm actually out out on the road today. It just started to snow. Looking beautiful out that window. We're kind of getting sick of uh, <laughs> sick of winter out here in New England. But I'm joined here by my good friend, Len Mahalovich. How you doing, Len? Hi. Great. Good. Yay. More snow. Yes, I know. I'll be driving in that very, very soon. Or not, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually just came back from a nice little... Uh, flea market adventure and we both picked up a nice big pile of books and we'll probably kind of discuss some of the some yeah, of the great I'd finds like that we found uh but first let's let's kind of start off with the of course what's the main point of this of this podcast what's the point is, mike really <laughs> which is calistration and what we do and of course what we do right now are the master series prints and you recently received a set of prints i did it, it was it was great it, it's it was wonderful, and just uh, for anybody who hasn't gotten this yet, it, it was just, I guess painstaking is the right word, because you can see the level of effort that went into everything, the detail. As soon as I opened the packaging, everything was well taken care of. The, tu- the tube and shipping material were all top quality. There was no way that a lazy mailman was going to ever damage this thing. <laughs> I have a lot of people that I know that are mailmen, so be careful. The way I, you I come that. from a whole family of mailmen and they get really, really upset when they see packages damaged. So they, you know, there are a lot of postal workers that take pride in what they do, but there are a lot of temps and seasonal help who don't. And, no, that's, and, plus, and that's how they get the bad reputation. Plus, some so, of the people that I do know are lazy mailmen, yeah. and you know who I'm talking to. Oh. You know who you are. <laughs> um, so, so it, anyway, it's, it's uh, one person described uh, described what we did as coming as a labor of love, and I, I love that description because it is true. I mean, we you know, there's it, there's so much more to this whole thing than the desire to make money, and the. I hope I make money. I hope I, I hope this is able to. So, Kellistration is not a non-profit organization. <laughs> Sometimes I, it feels like it is. <laughs> I'm hoping that this is going to help us fund uh, just years and years worth of these uh, restorations. Which, of course, is why I'm begging everybody always, please just keep spreading the word. If you like it, if you like the idea of it, if you know anybody who would even remotely remotely be interested in this, let them know about it. Give them our website, Kellistration.com. And we'll try to keep this thing, try to keep this thing going. And you know, Len's been with me, um, well, since even the beginning of this, uh, you know, the, this master series. We, Len and I, actually pretty much started in comics together. 
where I don't know. Did we did we discuss this? You were you were in my very first podcast. Right. Um, did we discuss our history together? No, in we, we didn't. And right. That's probably a pretty good way to go. Yeah, because yeah. it's been my good uh, almost Not, 20, ninety-three, I think, or ninety-two. So twenty-two, yeah. twenty-three years now at this yeah. point. My good, we were young. Well, I, it, uh, I realize it's going to be giving away uh, our actual ages, but I think you had literally just hit thirty when we met, right? And yeah. I was, and I was on the verge. Um, so well into our adulthood, at least physically. And we were both... At least physically, yeah. <laughs> and we were both trying to get into the comic industry. And I think you you had uh, bought a copy of my comic, Legend Killer, out of what? The Comic Buyer's Guide. Out of the Comic Buyer's Guide, yeah. And you were sending out scripts, uh, a spec script to everybody yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for your book called Section 12. Right. And I loved it and decided, okay, let's uh, publish it. And we, and we did it. We did it. And for many years, we were self-publishing books. Did did the convention circuit for a long time, and we were huge that, in Holland. Yes, <laughs> that's right. If we got our our first fan mail from overseas, and we were, uh, yeah, we were over the moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. We we got fan mail. Um, uh, the shows were always fun because we go to these conventions, and and people would you know ask you about things, and we'd be signing books and be on panels with panel discussions. And, yeah. You know, I remember being in one show in New York, and I was on, on the panel with a guy who had uh, killed off the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, and we were talking about that <laughs> and why he had to do it. And, <laughs> do you and remember I, who that was? Uh, Ron Mars, I think. Okay, that might yeah. that, that, that could be it. Yeah, it, w- it was a lot of years ago, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that was fun. Just, you know, okay, we were on the periphery of comics, but we were still we were still in there. We were still in it. You know, right. and and indie comics hadn't really gained any respect at that point. And now, you know, they've made a lot because technically The Walking Dead is an indie comic. And, right. And they've gotten a lot of respect now through the years and they're being looked at, you know, as as more serious works and not not just a hobby by some folks. Well, yeah, and I think um, the indie comics have kind of seen like uh Waves of respect every once in a while. Of course, it first started with like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right. and everyone just jumped on board, and everyone thought that was going to be the next big thing. And then in the '90s, we had some we had some big uh, we had some big things out there, including like uh, Mouse, which ended up winning right. the Pulitzer Prize. Yep. And so, uh, but well, the, but you also right, had Men would, in Black, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Road to Perdition, right? A lot of comics that got a lot of Hollywood attention. Yeah, exactly. And then, but the, as, as just as big as they got, it always seemed like it would it would uh, cool down for a little while until it, the next yeah. big thing came out. Right. And uh, yeah, for be- for better for worse. But it's always been fun. I mean, I th- uh, anybody who's looking to get into indie comics, if, if they're looking to break into comics, I think. Uh, Self-publishing is the way to go. Just make sure, don't be stupid enough to think you're going to make money up front. There are, there's right. always a handful of people that do make money. Right. Most of them, most of them, but, it has but, to be a hobby. But it's, the, but it's the exception. But, you know, we, we did a lot of things that were fun. We had, you know, front page news coverage in some yeah. local newspapers. <laughs> we were on cable access shows being interviewed. I, I did an interview on a radio show. We were in a Kevin Smith movie. We were in a Kevin Smith movie, yeah. <laughs> So it's it leads you to a lot of things, and obviously, Mike, it led you to computer coloring. Uh, Eventually, which you yes. Were, you yeah. weren't there right. when I first met you, and you got there, and 
you know, I like to think that a lot of this interaction that we've had over the past 20 something years has helped that. Oh, of course. It, 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 it was part of that long path. Yes. You know, without it, I don't think it would have, uh, I don't think it would have happened. Right. You know, it, 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 right. And this is, anybody listening to this, this is certainly not a how-to of how to break into comics. Oh, and, don't, and I think don't what, follow our, yeah, our no. lead. <laughs> I, I, think, I think what we are saying is do something because you love it, because you can do a good job at it, Right. And not because you think you're going to make a fortune because you're not initially, yeah. but if you work very hard and by working hard, I don't mean drawing well and writing well and lettering well and coloring well. I mean selling well, promoting well, being tireless about the way that you can contact people. And when you've contacted a hundred people, just stop and think, how can I find a hundred more? Right. And just contact people that can help you promote your product project and you know having just published a comic book myself oh which left, which is called tracksuitman.com tracksuitman.com go visit yes it's all there <laughs> um so having just done that myself i can see the last issue of Section 12 that was published was in 1997. Section 12 was the book that you had sent me the script for. That's correct. And that's what got, got the ball rolling. That got the ball rolling. And yeah. Mike and I shared a book called Dilemma Presents, and it was a flip book <laughs> with half of it was his story and half of it was my story. Yep. And it was wonderful. I loved it. It lasted for four issues, and then... Uh, I think real life got in the way. <laughs> well, real life was constantly yeah. in the way, yeah. even while we were, we right. were doing it. I think we just kind of yeah. relented to real life. Right. We relented to. to real life, and <laughs> I I splintered off, and I went to Mythic Comics, and yeah. Mike did something for Caliber well, Press. Actually, that, that's actually yeah. right. We, uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think it was, uh, it, it, it was wrong for me to say we kind of kind yeah. of uh, petered yeah. out there because right. we just – it's also not fair to say that we went our separate ways because we were still no, we doing did. all this yeah. together, but we had our own separate projects. Right. I went on to do Rib for Caliber, yep. uh, which gave me a lot of attention, which eventually led into what, I, what I'm doing yep. now in a very roundabout way right. as, well, as well as my other stuff. But, yeah, you got – Session 12 was picked up by Mythic Comics. Mythic Comics, yeah. Uh, sadly, only made one issue before. Yep. I think they went out of business. They went out of business, right. but they, you know, number two was actually at press. I was yep. lucky to get the original art back, but I did. Right. Um, <laughs> so, but in and among all of that, too, you have to remember that we also did a card set at that time or two. Oh, my goodness. Remember yes. those? I, the Independent yes. Universe Trading Card Set. Definitely. And I did a complimentary website where I was reviewing comics, and that actually turned into a, almost a full-time that, job that because was I was spending the, like 30 hours a week reviewing comics. And that was in the infancy of the internet. Well, maybe not, probably not fair to say the infancy, but we're talking uh, mid to... 98 to 2000. Yeah, mid yeah. to late 90s. And yeah. so, you know, the internet, what, this was before animated GIFs were even available Correct. on... Uh, yeah. On, you know, this is the show our age. Yeah. Um, this is be- this is when you would get on the internet for you pay for AOL and they give you what five hours a month or something like yes. that. Yes. That you could, so right. you could only visit the internet for five hours a month for thirty dollars or whatever it right. was, and you couldn't get a phone call while you were on the internet or it would knock you off the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is always disconcerting when you say something's always connected. That little that little piece of my brain that's used to timing the internet is yeah. like, oh, it's always on, really. <laughs> But yeah, we, so we did so. Um, so we did very, that card set. But very, or, very, no, the, the two card sets. The card set was very interesting because <laughs> this was the this was 1994, I think it was that we did the first one. 
Okay. And we wanted to put together a card set, and what we had in mind was well out of our budget. And you came up with the idea. It's like, well, why? I guess it's an early uh, crowdfunding kind of thing. Yeah. Where everyone got to participate. If it was out of our budget, it was out of everybody's budget. Right. We knew... We knew that there would be a lot of people that would want to do it. Exactly. So we figured out how much it would cost for us to print up a set of 90 cards. Yes. I think it was. And then we just split that up in 90 ways and just started contacting indie publishers. And when when I was expecting to get a handful of responses, we just started getting responses over and over. It was just, they were just pouring well, in. Fortunately, back then, there were comic publications like Wizard and Comic Buyer's Guide. Mm-hmm. And Comic Buyer's Guide had this um, promotion that if you renewed your subscription with them for a year, you would get a free ad. Right. <laughs> so a lot of small indie publishers used that free ad. Which I did. Which yep. you did. Um, which a lot of people did. And so every time I saw one of those free ads, I would reach out to that publisher. And if they yeah. gave me an email, so much the better. Right. I didn't have to waste a stamp, but I, I sent out to a lot of people. And we got we got a lot of great responses because I would I would tell you all the names and you're like yeah I got something from them I got something from them I got something from them you know it might be it might be fun at some point to break out that card set and see if we can contact some of these people see who who actually made it in the comic industry who's still trying who still right. who still has like a hobby of it or uh, just gave up completely so I have one story okay um, is it a good story yeah it okay. is um, so I don't want to make fun of anybody <laughs> no this. One of this, one of the people that did it was actually more into the buying and selling of comics than the actual characters. He had a plan to create a lot of characters, and he bought a lot of cards from us. If you remember who I'm talking about, no, um, <laughs> he. Um, can I mention his name? Yeah, as long as it's not a bad story. Okay, yeah. his name is Vinny. Okay. Um, I don't know if you remember him or not. I don't know. This is not ringing a bell at all. Okay. Um, He and his friend Mike had a lot of um, had a lot of characters that they had come up with. Yep. And they they bought I think at least five or ten cards from us. And and they were promoting their stuff, and it was genius by just handing the things out at shows as promotional items, which is exactly what they were made for. Mm -hmm. Um, So it gave a little description of their comic book and how to contact them, and you know that was fantastic. Well, Vinny is um, now, I think he owns Metropolis Comics. Really? And he's the guy who paid the $3 million for the, uh, what was it, the 9.0 Detective Comics number one? Yeah, Vinny, his last name begins with a Z, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, Vinny Z? Everybody knows Vinny Z. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I don't know know how to pronounce it. I have no idea. Or Zulo, I think. I'm, no. I'm not sure. No, no. Um, no but, I did. but yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So this guy, although he's uh, so although he's not a comic creator anymore, he's right. certainly a big. Part he, he's of, a big uh, player comics. in the in the comic in the comic industry. That's pretty cool. Um, so that that was because I read an interview online with him. Of course, when you spend over three million dollars for a comic book, it's going to make the news. It, it's right. going to make the newspaper, <laughs> and uh, you know, he, and he, he talked about a lot of. A lot of what he was doing, and so that's one of the alumni from that set. Wow, nice! Well, I'm glad to see someone made it. Yeah. <laughs> um, where were we? Back to the uh, the conventions, which of course were fan. I mean, that was that was like 
at the time, of course, I had a full-time job. You had a full-time job. Um, I had a, I had a family going. You were just about to get a family going. Right. And uh, as we got older, it was harder and harder to, to do these shows. But we would get together at least, what, two or three times a year. Yep. Get out to these shows and... It was just, yeah. It, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. It's, we got to meet a lot of people. It's energizing talking to the fans. It is. It really it's, is. Uh, it, it was and always a lot are, of fun having yeah. the people come up, talking to you, asking you about what you're doing, and I think that gives you, it helps give you the motivation to keep yeah. going, especially when your books aren't selling very yeah. well. Yeah, and and some people, it, it's it's always it's great when people come up and they ask you about your comic and your characters, and it's clear that they read it and they enjoyed the story and they were engaged in it. Yeah. Um, and then you also have another fan base who maybe they're not familiar with your work, but they're really interested in your creative process right. and how that goes along. And, you know, they ask about how do you write? Do you just sit down and try and write a script? And I explain that, you know, you do an outline first and then you hit the high points that you want to get in the story and then you start to schedule it out. Is it going to be one issue? Is it going to be three issues? And then you do it by the page and to see where your story arc comes in, and then we talked about, you know, illustration, how you do, you know, breakdowns and pencils and and how everything comes together. And, you know, people people who have a genuine interest in it love, they just soak this information up like a sponge, and it's just very re-energizing as a comic creator to be able to talk about that and just say, yeah, this is what I do. And, right. And have people ask you and be, you know, have a real interest in it. Of course, when we first started, I was, you know, as I mentioned on the show before, I was painfully shy. Metaphorically held my hand through the process of learning how to There was uh, no deal touching. People. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I made sure to say metaphorically. Um, go through. And I, th- I think that's an important lesson for a lot of these people. And I, I notice this when I go to conventions. You can always tell that there are a lot of these people that are, and I, th- I think this is uh, true for a lot of artists, they are a little socially uncomfortable. And they're putting themselves out there. And so I think it's just as important for, uh, well, maybe not as important, but I, th- uh, I think that these creators, when you're walking by a table and you see the guy who has his head down and he's not paying any attention to you, tr- give them a shot. Don't just walk by them and think that they're just they're ignoring you. you know, um, as a guy who was one of those guys who just kept his head down all the time, please say hello to him. Try to engage him. You know, you don't have to sit there and, uh, you know, babysit them and try to, you know, force them to talk to you. But, you know, give them a, give them a minute to let them give you your, their, their spiel and tell you about their comics. Because I think a lot of these guys really want to, but they just don't have the ability to. Not everybody is one of these harkers that are able to, hey, buddy, come over here. I've got something to sell you. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I have a sales background, okay? Don't hold it against well, me. Well, we, we uh, had a, uh, for, for lack of a better term, we had a good cop, bad cop kind of thing going for a yeah. while where uh, you would bring the people in and then they would, because you were the writer, yep. and you'd, you'd start hyping them up, and then you kind of pawn them off on me. And we'd start talking about the uh, about the art. So you kind right. of you'd reel them in, and then we both have to sit and kind of uh, kind of talk through what we were doing, and make it sound like we knew what we were doing. Right. So so that being said, if you're advising people, okay, so you want to talk to the guy with with the head down. Now, recognize that everybody's at a comic convention, and 
there there is a cost for most of the time for people to be there. Right. The, gone are the days where you invite guests. Um, it, this is all about making money. So, yes, everybody would like to sell you something, but that doesn't mean you're at all obligated to buy anything from anybody. Right. But what is free is positive energy. So if somebody looks you in the eye and says, hi, how you doing today? Don't look down. Don't look away. Just say hi. Maybe give a smile. If, if their work intrigues you, go over and say your stuff looks nice. If it doesn't, just say, hi, how you doing? Give them a smile and keep walking. Right. It's positive energy does not cost anything. We, we're all humans on the same planet. We all need it. We're all there because we love comic books. Yeah. And we would love you to come over and talk to us. Talk to us about the last Spider-Man movie if you want to. Talk to us <laughs> oh, exactly. about anything you want. I've, That's fine. The yeah. last the last convention right. that we did back in uh, October, I have a few yeah. people that I, that I right. speak to over the internet now simply because we yeah. started talking about movies. It, ex- that type exactly. Of thing. Yeah. Whatever it is that you want to talk about, please don't be shy. Right. Come over. We're there. We're going to be there, and we'd love to say we had a nice day talking with people. Right, and, and none of this is to is to excuse the people, the creators who have their head down, because they're going to have to learn to lift their head up and start get not just uh, getting your attention, but engaging with people. Uh, but yeah, I'm just as as, as a yeah. as a former social uh, butterfly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> complete opposite of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would. I just know that I appreciated the people who took that moment to come up and talk to me because I desperately wanted to talk about uh, talk about comics and talk about what I'm doing, talk yeah. about what you like. You Because know, although, yeah, I want you to spend $5 with me, if you walk away um, and all, the, all that you walk the only transaction we had between us was uh, trading opinions about how awful the new Spider-Man movie was, then that, that, and, that's, and that's fine. That's great. Exactly. That, that's fine. And we're, we're the guys who are sitting behind the table for six hours. That six hours can go really fast because we're having interesting, engaging conversation with people. Yep. Or it can go painstakingly slow because everybody's afraid to come over. Right. And even, you know, even the shows where you, know, you have it, – it, it's not even the attendance that dictates this because we've been to crowded shows where uh, not, only, not, not only people not spending money, but they, they're not engaging. And you try even even you know, from behind the table you try to engage them and they they don't want anything anything to do with anyone. It's almost yeah. they're just there to uh, window yeah. shop. It seems. And and as somebody who doesn't really do this for a living, although I like to to sell things, yeah. I don't like to get into the mode where it's really busy. Like we've gone to the larger shows, and yeah. I was at a point where I was just order taking at one point, and I felt like I was working at the window of a snack no, bar. Yeah, because you know? yeah, because you're yeah. just you're basically there's they're waiting on people at that point. Yeah. You're, you're not conversing. You're not right. having that interaction. Right. And I, I'd rather have a steady flow of people that are interested. Maybe right. some of them buy. Maybe some of them don't. And have it be like that rather than just being so busy, too. So the other end of the spectrum. You also. know what I want? I want two. Uh, we're, uh, uh, the average show is about six hours long. Yeah. I want two people to come by. First person comes, talks to us for three hours, and then spends, spends 500 bucks. Then he leaves. Another person comes, does the same exact thing for the last three hours. That would be fine with me. Okay. So if you have $500 and three hours to kill, come to – oh, what's the what's that show we're doing in uh, a- in April? The uh, It's the South-, South Coast Toy and Comic Show in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. That's October 11th and 12th, a Saturday and Sunday? No, it's April 11th and 12th, what did Saturday I say? and Sunday. You said October. 
<laughs> that was close. Yeah, I got April, October on the brain. April 11th and 12th. Well, that's when it's my birthday. Yeah, that's, I know. That's my favorite time of year. We went to a couple flea markets. We did. And uh, in one of them, we found some really... Some really cool stuff. I'm just going to start off because I got the least amount of I got the least amount of stuff. I got an Atlas Era War War book called uh, War Comics, and I I don't even know if I re- we ran across any film for this at the way. It, it doesn't sound familiar to me at all, and so I picked it up. I think it had a Joe Manili cover, but I'm not positive. But speaking of Joe Manili, uh, I picked up a book called Oh my goodness, what was it? It was the uh, Melvin Melvin Marvin Marvin the Menace. Melvin the Menace. It was obviously a Dennis the Menace ripoff, <laughs> uh, written by Stan Lee and drawn by Way Joe to Manili. be prepared. Yeah, I yeah. know. I know. It's so sad. That's why we have seven listeners. We, uh, the interesting thing about it was that it was 36 pages of single-page jokes. So it was almost like picking up a, uh, a copy comic of Tracksuit Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's absolutely right. It, it was like 36 pages of like uh, comic strip comic strip. Reprints, but if you're not familiar with Joe Manili, he was an artist for in the in the Silver Age, I guess the, the early Silver Age during the Atlas era of Marvel Comics, which would have been what the early '50s until the late '50s. Right. And Joe Manili was pretty much Stan Lee's go-to guy. And if you pick up any uh, a lot of these Atlas books, and you'll see Joe Manili's work all over the place. And tragically, he was killed when he was 32 years old. Um, I guess the story is that. He was uh, hopping on a, a train, I guess a subway, and just fell between the cars, and was and was crushed. Yeah, and and because of that, um, as as the legend goes, that opened the door for Jack Kirby, who of course had already been doing work there. He pretty much now became Stan's uh, right hand man. And I ju- I just put all. T- I just put all of that together now. As soon as you said it quite that way, yeah. Now I know who you're talking about because I remember that from the book signing that we went to. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's it's it's a it, it's fun to well, fun's the word. It, it's interesting to think of how comics, you know, what comics were a dying medium at that time. Well, comics have been dying for seventy years now. If if you're in the industry, there's always just people saying the sky is falling. But Jack Kirby played such a big role in the resurrection of Marvel comics. What would have happened if there was no Jack Kirby? If Joe Manili drew Fantastic Four. Would it have gotten the the response that it did? I don't know. I, I, there's certainly no way of knowing knowing the answer to this. But so uh, so yeah. So I, I guess the question is, how much did the art drive the sales of that book? And, it's, and I have to assume not much. I doubt that there were many people at the time that were like, "Oh, Jack Kirby drew this. I'm picking it up." Although I'm sure there were some people, but I, I doubt it was enough so, to make it as successful as it was. So so to just take our time machine back there yep. you had to realize that every month we were seeing Jack Kirby's stuff coming on the same newsstand from the horror comics yep. because he was doing a fair amount of that Sure. Um, so if I were to pick it up and thumb through it at first glance it would be something that I was already comfortable with. With the, with the style yeah. 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 Right. So I'd be like yeah I'll, I'll try this this kind of looks cool it, it right yeah but i just yeah. don't think that people were like were really hunting down jack kirby at the time no yeah so and, no. I, and early of course a lot of the atlas books 
they wouldn't have like full credits in these. Sometimes the first page would be yeah. signed by the artist. Um, well, but, and that's why you know Stan used to always refer to it as the Marvel bullpen because it wasn't. Sometimes you know you work on this page, you work on right. this page. We're but behind. Fantastic yeah. Four number one. Did it have full credits at that point, or was it just? I don't, I don't even remember. Gee, I don't happen to own one, Mike. So well, we have it, but it's yeah. like it's way over there. Yeah. <laughs> but um. And what was the other thing? And I also got oh, all right. This was this is what really intrigued me. I got a book called Little Something. <laughs> I don't remember. It was a little really? bit, almost like a little Audrey type of book. It's like a cartoony. But the interesting thing, it you was bought about, three comic books. I bought, so. I bought three yeah. comics, and I can't remember all of right uh, yeah. everything about those three. That's how old I'm getting? And this was published by a publisher called Pines. Never heard of this company. That's what intrigued me. Yeah. So I picked that up. And the dealer also had a couple other books by this uh, by this publisher, and they had something to do with CBS television, which tells me it's from the uh, mid, probably at, at, at the very earliest, probably around 55 or so. I doubt they were going to be putting out any TV-related comics any earlier than around 55. And so I picked that up because I wanted to research, wanted to research that and see what this uh, publisher was all about because... At this stage of the game, for there to be a publisher that I wasn't aware of, is is it, it was shocking to me. Uh, I really didn't think any of them were left out there that I didn't know about. So, and you got you got a lot of good like uh, Silver Age and nineteen uh, seventies finds. Is, uh, is that the Bronze Age? Yeah, bronze, yeah. copper, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I I got a I got a lot of good ones. Um, one of the ones that jumped out was uh, the was it Tom. Corbett Space. Tom Corbett Space Cadet. Space Cadet. Dell Comics. Yeah. 1953, I believe it was. The cover was absolutely gorgeous. Oh, and did we ever figure it out? We, we believe it was, uh, it might have been Russ Heath. Yeah. But we're not positive about that. We don't know. look that up. Uh-huh. But yeah, gorgeous painted cover. The yeah. stuff that, the stuff that I didn't really uh, appreciate when I was younger because it wasn't in the comic book style. Right. And so I didn't like those old gold key covers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I now have just uh, a... Uh, not just an admiration, but I'm in awe of the work yeah. that they used to do for for these old comic book covers. Now, what about the other one that I got yesterday that you were uh, looking up? Because Which, I don't think you were familiar with that one oh, either. Uh, B. Barbie Riders or something like yeah. that. And, yeah. Uh, turned out to be a 19, 1950s Western comic. Yeah. Never heard never heard of it at all. Uh, but it was uh, written and drawn by Bob Powell. So, familiar, familiar name to the So that one, I, I I filled in a few holes of my Marvel collection with Daredevil and Marvel Team Up and um, a couple of annuals that I had missed back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, all all at a great flea market price. So right. as yeah. we can hear the crinkling of the bags, I am <laughs> hunting them down. So yeah, you got some good Marvel Team Ups. Yeah, I got, um, I got the Weapon X story for that's my That's not son. old enough for me. That's not old enough no, for you. No, 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 no. I am trying to... You know, folks, listeners, if you want to help me out here, I am trying to build up my Marvel team-up collection so I get the complete run of the first. I think that went for 100 issues. So um, 150, wasn't it? 150? Okay. Yeah, so, so I'm working towards that, as well as the uh, the Defenders, which was another 100-issue series. That I, in fact, uh, we just announced the new Defenders Masterworks. That will be coming out later this year. Yeah. Um, I got a few Daredevils. Another Masterworks, Daredevil Masterworks number nine, I believe, coming out this year. Yeah. Um, 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's a great one. That's from 1958, I want to say. Yep. And that's a DC book. And was that part of, like, uh, that isn't a standalone book. Isn't that, like, one of their anthology series? What number is that? What does that say? There's no number There's on no it. There's no number? It, it just a, says 1957 and 1958. It's a one-shot? Issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, not kind of the thing, but did DC have any anthology series back then? Like, uh, Disney had them and... Yeah, uh, they did. Uh, but yeah, maybe they they did. Maybe that's what I'm um, thinking of, not DC. But I just think it's amazing that a 1957, 1958 issue I got for three dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> um, it's in decent shape, yep. you know. It's not going to set the world on fire, but um, I just remember in the 80s, in the late 80s, in the early 90s, I had a car, I had the freedom, I had a little bit of disposable income. I could not find any comics from the 50s at that time. No. Um, it's just part and parcel to comics being really popular from a collectability standpoint that right, these things are even available. Even even like in the, uh, in, the eight, in the 80s and into the 90s, I don't remember seeing a lot of Golden Age books, and not because they weren't affordable. I think people just weren't buying them. I think that everybody was interested in the Silver Age books in the, yeah. from Fantastic Four or right. even the, from, uh, what, uh, yeah. Showcase yeah. number four up. Yeah. I think that's what they were looking for. Right. And uh, Forbidden Worlds, you got some of those, which yep. we've, we've reprinted, uh, I, my goodness, I want to say four volumes yeah. through Dark Horse of Forbidden Worlds. The, the art on these covers is fantastic. They remind me I mean, of the uh, 1950s DC comics. And, where, and uh, it's so simple. Yes, you but they, they they would come up with these outlandish ideas. Yeah, and you know, like uh, any of the yeah. Superman books back in the fifties were kind of like that, especially right. the spinoff books, yeah. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. So this this one here is a person. What number? Uh, one seventeen. Okay. The guy's looking at the figure in bed, which looks like it's a robot in bed who's revealing itself as being an alien. And it's like, first of all, why would the robot need to lay down? <laughs> you know, it really doesn't stand to the scrutiny. And there's human hands, too. So right. why wouldn't you think this was human instead of a metal masked robot? But what a shock. It turned out to be an alien. What's the blurb on that one? Uh, you'll gasp at the most amazing thriller ever. Target planet dead ahead open fire. <laughs> so, which has nothing to do with this cover. <laughs> oh no, there's an alien. Maybe yeah, it could be it. There's an alien. But yeah, it, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't really because it, it, it's literally an alien laying on a pillow with another man with a man just kind of looking in shock at him. And we know he's an alien because he's green. That's it. Well, the the hair pattern too. He looks well, like <laughs> a. It looks like a green yeti. <laughs> but good stuff. All good stuff. Two bucks for that. Can't complain. Um, an old rawhide kid. Yeah. Old Captain America. And then the space cadet woman we were talking about. Nice. Yeah. Quite a lot more than I thought I was going to get today. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a little jaded these days when I go to these things because, you know, everybody kind of knows what they have. So you're not, you're not, there's nothing in the quarter bin that's going to be worth hundreds of dollars. Right. So, you know, you can't even really expect that anymore. Like, yeah like when I was younger and I'd find all of these great treasures. Um, the internet has really educated everybody, both as buyers and sellers, but every once in a while you can find something at a decent price. Yeah. You've got to look, though. I mean, you do. Was, uh, you do have to look. There's yep. a lot of wandering around to try to... Uh... It was. <laughs> Exercise is good, Michael. Yeah. 
not for me. Why don't so, Why don't you let me finish talking about your posters? Like I was saying earlier, the the posters were incredible. The amount of effort and care that was taken in packaging, and then I opened it up and. I had seen, I had the privilege of being able to see the digital versions of these things. And sometimes, you know, when you get things printed out, they're just not as true. But the colors were just as bright and vibrant. And there's so much detail. And I'm glad you included the before and after so you can really appreciate. Um, well, that's also, I was hoping yeah. people could yeah. see. And, and, so and you not, can really appreciate the differences. In right. The, I, I, it, it wasn't so much as to see, oh, my God, look how much uh, work Mike put into this. No. Uh, I wanted people to see this is what people. Um, this is what it meant to look like. Right. And, compared compared yeah. to what everybody's been seeing for all these years. Right. Exactly. Because as and we had a conversation before we started uh, recording today that uh, I'm almost getting to the point. I've been very accepting of uh, I've been very accepting of the low quality of restorations over the years simply because I grew up like I think most uh, most comic fans assuming that's what comic books were supposed to look like for for generations these comic literally generations these comics had a certain look to them and that look was indicative of poor quality the colors were, were didn't register correctly so they didn't match under the line or they would fall outside of the black lines the, some of the colors would print too light, too dark. The line art would come out either too thick or too thin. And it got to the point where literally we thought that was how it was supposed to look. I'm really starting to become, uh, become aggravated by that. Not just, my, uh, not just with everybody, uh, everybody else accepting that, but my, uh, also me. For all these years buying this work, and I gave you the analogy... Of if you went to and actually you know I was I'm going to use the Mona Lisa as an example but you can picture in your head any piece of artwork I don't care what it is your favorite piece of artwork whether it's uh, the Mona Lisa or Starry Night or if it's something your child drew and you have a picture of it on your refrigerator oh I hate when they reprint my child's artwork <laughs> in poor quality because that just happens all the time I know I know and. So now imagine that you want to share this image with the world. And so go take a picture of it. But take a crummy picture. And it's all blurry and the lighting is, is screwed up. But say, oh, the heck with it. I'm not going to take another picture. And start distributing it across the world. And people are going to see this, this horrible version of what you sent out. And then, of course, if, there's no other, if they don't ever get to see the original, they're going to assume that's what it looks like. And it's not. That's what we're getting through these... Well, uh, through these reprints these days, with comic all... companies have been doing that for years. I mean, oh, look, oh, forever, look at yeah. look at some of the '60s reprints. How poor the quality was. Yes, it was, and they even had access to the original art back then. But I think they just took some sort of stat copy of the book. Well, yeah, well, not just know? that, but of course, you know, printing quality was horrible back then. Yeah. So unless you were able to pick up a uh, a specialty book. Every once in a while, when Marvel would put out like uh, Son of Origins or you know Origin of Marvel right. comics, and the quality of that would be would be better than your average comic. Then, but, of course, when we got to the yeah. to the what they call the the, the the deluxe Baxter paper yeah. of the 1980s, that's when we started seeing uh, some kind of increase in quality. But, but and, and so but, up until hold on, let me let me just jump in here. Yep. Go across the pond to the UK yep. in in the same seventies and eighties, and look at some of the weekly comics that they had, mm -hmm. and they published them in black and white, 
which were basically glorified photocopies of the color comics yeah. Yeah. that they were putting in. So crappy, crappy stuff has been with us for a very long right. time. And up until, and I'll even, uh, I'll even give us the benefit of the doubt and say, up until the year two thousand. Not only did we not know better, we didn't have a cheap, easy way to fix it. Here we are 15 years later, and we're, the Marvel Masterworks has done an incredible job of correcting this, uh, what I'm going to call an injustice, to the artwork that's been done for, for decades, for almost, almost a century now. Right. Uh, oh, well, you know what? In, in terms of Little Nemo, over a century. And a lot of this work where no one has ever seen, unless you were one of the fortunate people to see the original art of this stuff, you had no idea how beautiful, how much detail was in this work. I've, I've mentioned this a number of times with, <coughs> with um, Amazing Spider-Man. And when I finally saw the uh, scans of John Romita's Spider-Man work and the, the amount of detail that was lost in the printing... And in the subsequent reprints, no one ever saw this until we went through. Uh, we went through the warehouse, got all the really good film, and we started uh, restoring from that. And so now we have all this great detail. And to sit back for the, the idea that people are still accepting that old mentality of, hey, okay, we'll go buy, you know, we'll go buy a few issues of Forbidden Worlds, and we'll scan them, and we'll run them through Photoshop, and we'll put the levels so we can turn the yellow paper to white. And then we're just going to print it like that. That's it's starting to it's starting to annoy me because we don't have to be that bad anymore. So it, it's more widespread than that because, and I think most of the listeners here can appreciate if um, now that we're in the digital age, we're taking digital photographs and we're we're sharing them digitally. But a lot of us still have some old timers in our lives that like to have the pictures in their hands and they yes. like. To so there, there's plenty of companies out there that will do that for us, either over the internet or a drugstore or a department store or something. Um, so we'll go in there and we'll have these pictures printed and we'll give them to them and hand them to them and we'll look at them and we'll say, wow, the colors look so much better on my computer. or the <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and, and it's part and parcel to the printing process and the equipment because it's just not adjusted correctly. Right. Right, and you know, that's always going to be. I think that's always going to be a problem, especially as we right. keep you know, continue right. into digital. I don't know if but, there'll ever be a you, worldwide standard. No, there won't. But you need to t- you need to get people to care about that, right? To change this problem, because I'm I'm saying that it's not just in comics; it's widespread. Because I got a eight and a half by eleven of a picture that I took at a theme park. A lot of vibrant colors. A lot of Everything was all washed out, all washed together. Right. You, you know, the black hair was melting into the background. It did not look that way on And my that's the perfect screen. metaphor for the comics back then yeah. because you had, you started with a perfect piece of artwork. And then by the time it got through all the processes and came off of the printing press, it was nothing like what the artists were intending you to, to see. And so it's, it's just, it, it's inaccurate. The quality isn't great, and sadly, we seem to think that's the norm. You remember the cartoons in the 1950s, probably Looney Tunes, in the background, you'd start seeing a house, and then the colors didn't match underneath the line art. And I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming 
it's because people started to think in terms of cartoons that colors were not supposed to be under the line art anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're giving me a look like you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, and, and you're reading that look correctly. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to find some examples yeah. and throw it up onto yeah. the internet. Okay. But I, I really believe it's because for some, because it was all that we were exposed to for so many years as comic fans, we think that the, now, what, the colors are supposed yeah. to be out of registration. Right. And so that kind of became, it went from being a printing problem to an art style. Right. Okay. So when it doesn't stay inside the lines is what you're talking about. Right. Exactly. I and understand when, now. What when you're I do, uh, I've worked on a few comics where they've asked me to color it in the old quote old coloring style, which is the '64 color palette that we used to use for well, that Marvel used to use back in, yeah. from the '40s. Inevitably, at at the very least, they'll ask me to try. They'd say, "Can you make it so the colors aren't underneath the lines?" I'd like to see how that's going to look, because. That's it's ingrained in our heads that old comics were not supposed to look good. That some kind of a style that was a stylistic choice, right. Rather than a technical problem. And of course, as you yep. know, it's not because, it, as as I gone through said multiple times on other other podcasts, yeah. that if you pick up twenty copies of any given comic, uh, they are going to have all diff- every the, every issue is going to have different problems. One issue might have the the magenta is too dark. Now there is you'll have the magenta too light, where the magenta is printed a quarter inch off to the left, and other ones where it's uh, printed perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's also other problems like trimming and oh, you know. Oh, how many times have yeah. you bought a comic where a good one quarter inch of the spine, what on the front cover was actually the back cover, right? Because when it was going through its process, it, it just got folded at the wrong place, and when they trimmed it off. You end up losing an extra quarter of an inch off of your right, right side of the color. Now they'll grade for that, but do they grade for those color registration errors that you're talking about? That I don't know. I can, that's that's another thing that I can sit and complain about professional grading these days. That because growing up with the Comic Buyer's Guide and they had very strict guidelines for what comics were supposed to do to adhere to the different levels, and Mint always also included perfectly registered cover so right. it couldn't be cut crooked right and i thought that cgc especially was go were they used overstreet's guidelines to start grading things but obviously they, they have their own set of standards yeah, it, they, they it, but it's published it. on the website and i think right. it's i think it's fair oh i don't um, so. I want, if i got yeah. a mint comic i want it to be mint i want the staples in the right place i well, want the color they, in the right they look place. at that um um, I've been doing stuff through CBCS lately. And yeah, that's, the, that's their competitor. Right. CBC's competitor. What I like about that is I just got a bunch of books graded. Now they haven't mailed them back yet, but they, they show me what the grade is. Now CBC does the same thing, but they also show me the grader's notes. So the book got a 6.0. I know why it got a 6.0. Oh, they, not they just list, a vague Right. No, they list there. everything well, that's, that's wrong great. with it. And I think that's great. Because it helps me as a collector to know what to look for when I'm buying something, you know, and I can be a little a little more critical of... Um, now, what do you think? Are, are collectors uh, picky about who does the grading? Yes. Are they? I'm, yeah. assuming, I'm assuming they lean towards CGC. CGC, they still feel, is the gold standard. And I, I think it's, it's because... Not because they've 
show shown up for the party, but they are the name brand in it. Mm-hmm. Um, PGX has been around almost as long as CGC, but they um, there's a lot of bad stories about them on the internet, and that has just kind of mushroomed. About PGX? Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's just kind of mushroomed out into people aren't as trusting of their grading. Huh. Um, but CBC, CBCS, Comic Book Certification Service, uh, is um, a little bit all over the road with their commentary. Like, you're not going to keep everybody happy, but um, what I like about them versus CGC is their pricing is up front. They're, they're charging you what they're charging you. It's based on, you know, the era that the comic came out in, hmm. and it's not based on what the comic books are worth. So huh. it's, um, you know, so if I have, you know, Incredible Hulk, 179 and 181 in the same envelope, I'm going to pay the same amount of money to get them graded, whereas CGC, I don't believe that's the case. Um, they'll, they'll, they charge yeah. a percentage of the guide value? Yeah. Based on the grade that they give it? Correct. Oh, so... Yeah. They could... So it's in their best interest to give you a better grade? Um, I don't think it's based on the grade. I think it's just on the guide value of... Well, yeah, of but the guide value is based on the grade, though. Well, they they have guidelines to say this is this is what the value is. Okay. So, I haven't read their website in a year, to be fair. So this might not be okay. True, you know, gospel. But that was there was a little more drama, which is why I liked using CBCS yeah. a little bit better because I can just basically print out my invoice, you know, put put what it is, enclose the payment. Put everything in the box. They email me when they get it, right. and they give me an approximate turnaround time. And it's all on the website. When they're done, they tell me. Right, plus, and you're 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 getting your books graded for your collection. This isn't something Correct. that we're selling. So Correct. the so the the prestige of having CGC on it doesn't matter to you at all, no. as long as you have an accurate grade. That's right. all that matters. Right. And and then the other thing too is, um, I read an article about CBCS using, you know. Um, archival quality plastics and things like that and and granted it was CBCS talking about CGC and how how their stuff was less archival but yeah. you know it, it's a consideration <laughs> and I, I mean I'd love to get all my books slabbed but I just can't <laughs> afford it so right I kind of get I, yeah. I, I had I wanted to for a while and I've kind of given up on it but I've again I've uh, yeah. kind of given up on collecting where well I say that but I spend right. money on comics right. today so, I'd like you know, to get all my books bagged, but I'm yeah. not there yet either. <laughs> Thank you for joining us again, Len. Give me those uh, web addresses again for okay. your projects. Okay. It's um, rescuedcomics.com, and it's tracksuitman.com. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, folks. Let me break in here for just a second. Well, after we were done recording the podcast, our conversation continued, as it always does, and we got into a slightly interesting conversation and we turn the microphones back on and this is what we did all right joining me again is len mahalovich my good friend len say hello len hello and with him is his son ben ben say hi hi all right so we got into an interesting conversation yesterday having to do with the kind of generational gap when me and len were growing up enjoying comics it was just comics there were a couple cartoons but there were usually crappy cartoons um, crummy at best, and so all we had to go by to fuel our fan base, our, our sorry, our fandom, was 
were the comics comics excel. Comics themselves. Now we have what do we have? We got so we have movies. Yep. We have um, TV shows. There's some really great comic TV shows that I like to watch. Yep. There are cartoons. Ben, how old are you now? Eleven. You're eleven. Okay, so just to give a kind of a baseline of what we're talking about here so, in terms of generation. Yeah. So how many kids in your class collect comic books? Guess. One. Guess One. Is that you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. So it's you. Um, and, and he's getting he's getting the two Weapon X books for doing this. So he is, oh, a, nice. he is a paid professional. Very cool. <laughs> um, so how many kids in your class enjoy the superhero movies? About five. About five. How about the cartoons? Two. Two. And how about the TV shows that are on? Two. Two. Okay. So he's one of them for every single one. So, and of course, these are the people you know about. Yeah. I'm sure you haven't yeah. pulled, ev- pulled now, everybody. Now, how many kids are in your class? So we just get a baseline uh, here. Now 14. 14. Oh, so not a very big class. No, it's not all. a very big class. So okay. I didn't so, want you to be you know, completely right. alarmed by the numbers like it's a class of 300. When you, when yeah. you and I were growing up, and I, yeah. I'm assuming your schools were the same as mine, where we had yeah. anywhere between 20 to 30 kids in a class. Right. And literally, I would be the only person who at least – admitted to collecting comic books. Right. Which is why I was yeah. ostracized so much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the reason. That, that's a whole, yeah, that, that's why. But So, so the, yeah. obviously there are more kids that are into the movies and the TV shows than into, right. the, uh, into the comics. So what TV shows for comic books have you seen that you've really enjoyed? Uh, pretty much all of them that are on. And let's are, let's are, rattle some names off. You got Shield, Agents yeah, of Shield. Agent Agents of Shield. Shield. You like yes. watching that, right? Agent Carter. Agent Carter, yeah. very good show. And now we got a lot of DC shows yep. coming out. Um, he he hasn't watched Arrow, but I think he's watched a couple of Flashes with me, haven't you? Yeah, I think he watched one. And too. and what's the city that Batman lives in? Gotham. I still haven't seen that show. Yeah, myself, yeah. yeah. No, I enjoyed that show. Nice. Um, okay. What cartoons do you like to watch? Uh. Agents of Smash. Agents of Hulk's Agents of Smash. Okay. Oh, that's a Hulk show. Yeah. Okay. What are some of the other ones? Uh, Avengers Assemble. Avengers Assemble. Okay. Clearly not as good as Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, but well. Oh, clearly. Now, ha- do you read any of the comics that are associated with these shows? No, because no. they're not as good as like the older ones. Uh-huh. So, how do you uh-huh. read comics? I read them in graphic novels, mostly. You read graphic novels, mostly. You're a trade waiter. Yeah. Well, a lot. To be fair, a lot of this stuff was produced before he was born. Certainly. Or, or before he had any interest in comic books. Right. So. But so you know, I'm interested in. uh, You know, certainly you're enjoying you're enjoying these movies. Uh, In fact, we we just watched uh, X Men: uh, Days of Future Past. And you said you'd seen Guardians of the Galaxy recently. In fact, I was told you'd watch it like 7,000 mm-hmm. times at this point. And so you, I'm assuming you enjoy the characters. Yeah. Now, and, and, and uh, just be 100% honest, which I know you're going to be anyway, do you have any desire to read the comics? Um, For the most part, because usually the thing is the books are better than the movies. You think so? I'm glad to hear that. First, and yeah. I'm surprised to hear that also. Yeah. Uh, but you, you are you are raising uh, my my future clientele. I'm trying we, to. Which yeah. we, we need. Yeah, that's what yeah. we keep that keep that going. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite comic book movie? Probably 
the Avengers. The Avengers. The Avengers. Okay. okay. So you're looking forward to the new one? That's in a couple months. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Now, and what is your so having liked the Avengers movie, you've been reading Avengers comics at all? Any of the uh, graphic novels? I've I haven't read any graphic novels, but I have read some comics that you've got. So yep. the, are you know are they the newer ones or the older ones? Um, mostly the older ones. Oh, mostly the older yeah. ones. And so that's mostly just on availability then, yeah. not out of preference. Right, it's not out of preference. Right. It's whatever's available. Now, what do you think? So you like the Avengers movie. What do you think about the old Avengers comics? Compared to the... Do you like the movie better than the comics, I guess is what I'm asking. I, yeah, I do. You like the movie better than the yeah, comics? Okay. And to me, that makes sense, because I wonder how I yeah. would have... Uh, taken this when I was a kid if yeah. we had the movies available to us. Exactly, because his, his perception of it is the the films came first because that that in his mind is a complete story right. versus the comics where he's just getting them in dribs and drabs because there is no one big omnibus of all the Avengers, you know, 50 or 60 years of history <laughs> right. uh, that he's going to pick up and read. You know, he can't and he won't. So, <laughs> well, um, for, you know, for, okay, yeah. obviously, unless you're right. willing to you know, show up, you, know, you have the, the Avengers Omnibus, which will collect right. like the first 20, 30 issues or whatever. Yeah. That's a lot of money, you know, for, right. you know, for a kid. So, obviously, if you have right. to lay it around, but, the, but still, it, but that's only two years out of 50. Exactly. So, right. he's not going to get caught up overnight where a two hour investment of time gives him the complete movie story. Right. And it's content and it takes out all of the. The frivolous, unnecessary stuff, which is actually the stuff that we kind of enjoyed, but right. we were enjoying it as it was twenty minutes out of every month that we would get this new piece right. of entertainment. Right, we didn't and, just get there. Right, and now yeah. he has a new twenty-five minute cartoon every week, or a new uh, what forty-five minutes yeah. of uh, of a TV show after you take out all the commercials and everything. Yeah. You know, so there, in terms of entertainment, there's so much more available to him now yeah. that isn't the comic books. Yeah. And so that's a, yeah. that, that's an interesting... Yeah, it's all about difference. investments in time. And, right. and to him, if he, want, if he wants to go buy something, he's going to go buy a trade paperback because the price of single-issue comics now versus a marked-down trade paperback, if, I got, if he's got $10 to spend, he can get... Two, maybe three single issues, or you can get one discounted trade paperback. Right now, Ben, you're a big uh, Deadpool fan. Yeah. I, is it fair for me to say he's your favorite character? Yeah. Okay. So I'm assuming you've read a lot of Deadpool comics. Well, yeah. Now, I don't know what a lot means, but yeah, yeah. but you've read you, you've read quite a few, fair amount, including yeah. some of the earlier ones. I would I would assume. Have you read any of the early yes. 1990s ones? Yes. Yeah. Have you read the newest ones? Do you really, uh, you're no. not out there buying it off the stands or anything. Not though. that they're that no. available no. either. The, la the last, yeah, and, and that comes down to the all. For the most part, the local comic shops have closed. Yeah. Barnes and Borders is no more. Yeah. Barnes and Noble doesn't really carry single issue comics anymore. Right. Newsstands don't carry them, so it's coming back around to like when we were kids that the availability of comics isn't there because the places that he normally goes is not a local comic shop. Right. So unless I take him there, he's not going to get there. And using the internet for comic shopping, it takes away 
that joy of discovery when you're you're kind of browsing through that giant wall of books and something catches your eye. Or when we were kids, the spinner rack. Right. How many times? It, it, it certainly wasn't every single time I went to the comic store, but there had to be dozens, if not hundreds, of times over you know the course of my lifetime. I bought a book simply because that cover caught my eye drew my attention to it. Either the cover was enough or it made me pick it up and flip through it and say, you know what, I'm going to give this a chance. Right. On the internet, you don't have that because you're looking for something specific usually. Right. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of losing that again. Yeah, we are. And we're, we're losing that again. I'll, I'll say that it's a society wide problem because, because of sites like Amazon and other, things books are all books are created equal so if you're buying a new book you're buying a new book whether you're buying it out of a store like a booksellers or whatever or you're buying it off the internet um there's no there's no discernible difference in the product itself it's just how it comes to you Mm -hmm. so internet shopping is very specific i want this book i'm going to go there here's my price right done um non- Browsing, as you said, is very nonspecific. I don't know what I want, but I know I want to buy a book. I'm going to walk through this store. I'm going to flip through it. They even have coffee now and a snack bar that you can you can flip through the book and 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 see what you want. And you can browse and spend money that way. So, what's the future? I don't know. It's comics have the same problems as books. But, and, of course, comics have had the same problem for years and years. And it's right. always coming in, in cycles. And so yeah. my guess is going to keep, you know, keep going. Because I think uh, 20 years ago when, when home computers were becoming huge, they'd been around for a while at that point, but they were really becoming huge. The Internet was becoming huge. And, and so in 1995, we were having the frequent discussion of what 20 years from now, which is, which is now, uh, 2015, there was all kinds of speculation that there'll be no more printed comics. It'll all be on the internet. There won't even be comics anymore. It'll all be animations because it's all going to be so automated and so. That, and yeah, how's that, that working out? Exactly. Yeah. We, we've seen attempts at well, that, and we've seen little pockets of success. But the tried and true medium of having a printed comic in your hand still prevails. It's just a perfect example of how the future never goes like you think. So when we were kids. The utopian version of the future was everybody had rocket belts and flying cars, and we were going to go all over the place. Well, here it is. This is the future, 2015, and we're not there yet. We don't have rocket belts. We don't have flying cars. But we technology-wise, we're closer to Fred Flintstone using his feet to drive his car. Yeah, but technology-wise. Globally, we're communicating with everybody. Yes. Now, in in all the movies and things that I saw, that was never really transmitted as one of the dreams of the future. Right. But, you know, science, technology, medicine, we've made some great advances in our whole infrastructure of communication. But, you know, we're not there yet with a lot of things. So when we say that, comics aren't where we thought they were going to be now that we're in the future well they went in a different direction look at all these great movies we have we're getting we're getting a movie every six to eight months of a comic book Mm -hmm. and 
who'd have dreamed that that would happen, that this would become, you know, Spider-Man would become a household name or everybody would know that Captain America has a shield. Who would have thought, even five years ago, who was thinking that Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be one of the most successful and appreciated movies of the year 2014? Did you like Guardians of the Galaxy, Ben? Yeah. Who was your favorite character? Probably Rocket Raccoon. All right, and that's, that seems to... Everybody loved Rocket Raccoon and Baby Groot. Yep. Yeah, and Who's April's favorite character? Baby Groot. <laughs> yeah. And, and it makes sense. Uh, yeah. You know, these are Disney-esque kind of characters. Yeah. And it's... But it, it, I'll maintain that that was still one of the perfectly executed movies oh, I agree. as far it's as all, story, it's, it's pacing. It's all ages. It wasn't yeah. dumbed down. It was, yeah. it was silly when it needed to be. It was serious when it needed to be. But yes. it never... It was certainly never pretentious. Yeah. No. Uh, even even the parts that I kind of grimaced at, I still bought as part of the bigger picture. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it wasn't one of those movies where afterwards I sat as as I usually do and nitpicked uh, at like, oh, that couldn't happen because this happened or whatever. Yeah. Everything just I certainly I did have some complaints if I wanted to sit down and scrutinize it, which of course I. I have. Which is but part of the fun is breaking off into discussion exactly, groups after exactly. a movie's over. But uh, as a whole, it worked It worked so well for me. I was, I was very happy with it. And, yeah. who, again, who would have thought that it would have worked? Yeah, yeah. And, and all of a sudden, and, and I'll, I'll say my rant, all of these books that were and should still be in the quarter bins are now worth crazy money. Whoever thought that those... 40 yeah. copies of Rocket Raccoon number one you had were going to be worth any right. money. Who thought? Now it's going to put him through college. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I guess in, in big picture, as big giant comic fans being me, Len and I, what is our hope in turn? Are we satisfied with our kids growing up and instead of loving these characters in print coming out once a month, are we okay with them loving these characters? coming out in film once every two years or on TV for 15 episodes out of a year, every year. Oh, okay. So so if you had an evil time machine where you could take it back and all of a sudden all the comic stores closed, there's no eBay, there's no Amazon, yeah. and all of a sudden it becomes a newsstand item once again, uh-huh. is that really what you want? I'm not sure I understand your question. Okay. So <laughs> So take it all away. Take all, take all the comics. Take all the com- Take all of the infrastructure that we've built out. Take the cartoons away. Take the TV shows away. Take the you're trade paperback everything. away. Basically, you're saying yeah. just wipe these guys off the planet in right. every way, every medium. Yeah, yeah. Take okay. all of that stuff away and just go back to. You go into a drugstore. There's a spinner rack with comic books. Are you happy? I am. You are. I don't no, think I, the rest I, of the world that's is. What exactly. Yeah. Because well, including yeah. you, are you happy? No. No. Really. I would rather have a steady diet of the cartoons, the films, trade paperbacks, yeah. and reading reading as I do now the comics electronically. That's interesting. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. From as as a comic lover, as a comic collector, I'm gonna <clears throat> still want to chase in the flea markets yeah. and online <clears throat> to get my various holy grails that I want to get, but I don't see too many new grails coming down the road. So you're, so you're literally saying that of the, of the mediums, comic books are the least important to you at this point? 
Um, new publications of single issues? Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, let's even go yeah. farther. Uh, even even the graphic novels and everything. So obviously that's... Mm, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that new stories and new art are not re- important to me because they are. Oh, no, no. I'm not yeah. saying that they're yeah. not important. I'm saying yeah. in the hierarchy, they're on the bottom at this point. Yeah. Okay. And that I can kind of... Agree. Sadly, I can agree with. Yeah. Something about about comics these days, even though I'm, I am I depend on comics uh, to feed right. my family, they aren't holding my interest anymore. Right. Is, is it because it's too big and convoluted? Uh, is it because I've outgrown it? I, I hate well, to think that I've outgrown I've, it. I, I still maintain that with almost all of the companies now, if I, if I just came to this country a year ago and I know the language perfectly and I want to get involved in comic books, if I pick up any of the Marvel titles, the DC titles, the Image titles, whatever you want to call it, I can't just jump in. Right. It's too complicated. Yes, and, that, and of course that's why I've, uh, for years I've been gravitating towards indie. Like uh, I keep, uh, I keep recommending Black Sad. Yeah, for everybody out there, if you haven't right. picked up Black Sad, pick it up. It's a gorgeous, amazing book. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's probably the only. If someone said, "Hey, Mike, you can only recommend one comic to someone right now," what would it be? That's what it would be. It would be Black Sad. And yeah, there is no really long, you know, long history. That I have to do. I don't have to go out and buy seven hundred dollars worth of books in order to catch up on the story. Right. Spider Man. When I was growing up, I started with issue number one seventy seven, and the great thing was I didn't need the previous hundred and seventy seven issues to know what was going on. And when I was reading a story, if I needed to know something, they told me. They you know, they always made they flash sure back that, yeah. exactly. They always had some kind of mechanism in there to very easily tell tell me what was going on and everything's just way too convoluted now and right it's it's too hard to jump in and yeah. which is of course why we're getting the you know we we had crisis on infinite earths and now we got what's the new marvel uh, uh thing called secret wars the, the new secret wars and just trying to remedy this and i yeah. don't think it's going to work no i don't think no because they're you know obviously they're feeling the same pains because dc just did it again with the new 52 yeah. and they're they're feeling the same pain. They want people to be comfortable and able to jump in. But every once in a while, they have this rich tapestry of 50 to 75 years that they can collectively draw from, and the writers just aren't aren't going to forget that. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna, we'll wrap this up. Thank you, Len. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. All right, and joining us now is Heather Bates with the news. How are you doing, Heather? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. We missed you last week. I'm sorry. That's all right. We didn't invite you anyway. Yeah, things yeah. got a little crazy. Yeah, it's been a busy week. Actually, I don't even know what happened, but it was busy. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you got some news for us. I do, starring my favorite tree. <laughs> Your favorite tree. <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead. Groot. Ah. Groot. He sprouts a solo series this June. What happens when Groot and Rocket Raccoon get separated? That's the focus of Jimmy Kimmel Live writer Jeff Loveness and Disney animation artist Brian Kessinger. Groot series kicks off in June. I was aware of Groot, but like many people, I think the Guardians of the Galaxy movie gave me a fresh appreciation of the character, shares Loveness. I wonder if he really did know. Everyone seems to be claiming now that, oh yeah, I've always loved Groot. Nobody knew 
Nobody knew Groot. I didn't he's know been, who He's been around was. longer than most uh, most superheroes, but you know, most people didn't even How know. How long has he been around? Uh, I think he was uh, before before Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. I'm thinking his first appearance was somewhere around 1960, 61. Really? I had no idea. I think so. I, I could be completely wrong about that, but I'll look it up. But well, I think I think I'm pretty close. He's very adorable. In he, well, the not at first. Yeah, in the movies. Yeah. In the movies. Yeah. I don't know how he is in the comic books. His first appearance, I'm pretty sure he just came and tried to take over Earth, but I don't remember the story oh. exactly. Well, as you know, I yeah. don't read comics. Because he's so. he's a tree monster. He's a monster. Well, well yeah. Hmm. Yeah. A big walking tree. If you saw a big giant tree walking around, you'd be uh, a little, a little, uh, a little unnerved. Yeah, I guess. It depends on if he moved fast or slow, I guess. Oh, he's a tree. Uh, That's true. Like in Lord of the Rings, the Ents, they move really slow. That's because they're giants. They, well, Groot's yeah. a giant, isn't he? Ah, he's a little bigger than average, but he hangs yeah. around with a tiny little furry raccoon. He's cute. All right. Uh, Groot absolutely stole the show in that, and now I'm excited to take him on a cosmic road trip across the Marvel Universe. Groot will jump from teaming up with his pal Rocket into flying solo. No small feat for a man-thing of so few words. There's they a, called a man-thing? It says man-thing. Oh, there's a character called man-thing. Giant-sized man-thing. <laughs> You're gross. Good. I remember that. <laughs> you told me about that. That got really gross. There's a huge language barrier between Groot and the rest of the Marvel Universe. Notes Loveness. He may be a kind-hearted soul to us, but to a stranger, he's just a terrifying tree monster. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Scared the hell out of me. If my tree out front started talking, well, the first thing it would do is probably smack me for cutting off most of his arms last summer. That's true. But, yeah, it would still, it was, if my tree, I don't care what the tree said, even if it's just, I am Groot, I'm like, I am out of here. <laughs> he's bound to get in trouble because of people judging him before they know him. Never judge a tree by its bark. Or is it? <laughs> I think I'm mixing metaphors there. I think you are. Metaphors go right over my head. While everyone's favorite talking tree takes center stage, Loveness promises that a few more familiar faces will pop up in the series. My talk, favorite talking tree is from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, the one that says, how would you like it if people took apples off of you? Yeah, because that's a, that's a good life lesson. It is. Don't go picking things off people. <laughs> it's against the law. Or it should be. Rocket definitely pops in for some of the cosmic road trip, but this is definitely Groot's story, he says. Think of this as a Marvel version of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, mixed with Dumb and Dumber, and a little bit of Candid Day? What is that? How do you spell that? C-A-N-D-I-D-E. Hmm. You didn't read this before you gave it to me? I kind of cut and pasted, cut things out to truncate it a little bit. But it, that Trunk? Uh, <laughs> Candide? I guess. I, uh, I feel like I should... I, I, I feel like, like you should know that. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of like uh, sh- letting my, my own geekiness down mm-hmm. by not knowing uh-huh. what that is. All right. Okay. Luckily for Loveness, he has an artistic partner... With the chops to help keep readers enthralled with Groot and his exploits. Brian brings so much wonder to Groot's face, he praises. I'm in really good hands with him. We're gonna make some we're gonna make some fun. 
weird visuals for you guys. Is <laughs> <laughs> a lack of punctuation there? Or yeah, what? something huh. was weird there. All right. The story might feature all kinds of aliens and actions, but at its heart, Loveness builds it as much a much more relatable story. Overall, it's a story about overcoming your own handicaps in life. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you can't speak properly. Maybe you're a giant space tree who's best friends with a raccoon. Maybe you read the news for a stupid little podcast. Maybe. Every Marvel character, no matter how big or outlandish, is based on an emotional truth, and I'm really looking forward to exploring the truth behind Groot. Also, they're going to fight space sharks. Sweet. Groot number one by Jeff Loveness and Brian Kessinger plants itself on stands this June. Plants itself. Ah. <laughs> I'm actually interested in this. I might, I might, I might pick it up just because I and I mean I've been familiar with Root, Root, Root. Groot, Groot for quite a while. Um, you know, since I was a kid, actually. Uh, but I would uh, since the movie came out. I, I've, I've grown to love the guy, and I so I'll, love yeah. him. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't care about little baby dancing Groot. I like that's him. that's that's adorable, but I don't need adorable. I need I need big giant raccoon swinging trees. That's what I want. Yeah. Huh. Well, that was fun. I just watched Guardians of the Galaxy with my brother over the weekend. Yeah. And he had never seen it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. So I was like, huh. oh, I have it. So we popped it in, and we watched it, and then he got a bunch of good laughs out of it and he liked it he did like it good, good. <laughs> but we always liked the superhero movies but i had a friend uh who who hadn't seen it yet and he just he we let him borrow the dvd a couple weeks ago and he him and his kids loved it i have it's, to say it is i think my favorite marvel movie i was wondering if i because up to this point avengers has been my favorite uh, marvel movie well, Thor's in it. yeah well, well duh uh but i don't yeah i uh I'm not sure. It, it's pretty close. If, it, if if I don't like it more than Avengers, it's a very close second. Huh. No, I do like it. Cool. Thank you. Steve Gerber's iconic Defenders run concludes in Masterworks number 224. Steve Gerber's Defenders run comes to its revolutionary conclusion in the latest Marvel Masterworks extravaganza. Gerber consistently broke the boundaries of what a superhero comic could be, and his Headman saga stands as one of the high points in a celebrated career. Steve Gerber uh, created uh, created Howard the Duck, if I remember correctly. Loved Howard the Duck. You don't know who Howard the Duck was at the very end of. Well, I know the, uh, I know who he is. Oh. I just haven't seen. Oh, that's it. right. There was that horrible Howard the Duck movie, so you might even know. I've never seen it. Oh, you're lucky. I've never yeah. seen it. Although, I, I say you're lucky, but I remember when that movie came out when I was like 18, I I liked it. There wasn't a lot to compare it to at the time in terms of movies. We had, what, the Superman movies. We didn't even have Batman movies yet. We only had the Superman movies. And so I didn't hate it as much as everyone else did. But it certainly wasn't a great movie huh. by any stretch. Well, I In the um, whatever movie that little end piece was in. Uh, Guardians, I'm pretty sure. Was it? Yep. Um, at the end of that movie, I knew that it was Howard the Duck. It's just, mm -hmm. I've never seen it okay. or whatever. See, I, wa I didn't know it was Howard the Duck when I saw it at the theaters. Really? Because Alright, uh, so here's, uh, here's a stupid, stupid story. I like those. And I go 
to the movies, and if there's anything wrong, I get up and I complain. If the screen's blurry, if they left a light on, you know, it, um, well, that's pretty much all the, <laughs> the only uh, things that they could, uh, they could, oh, the sound is screwed up. Mm -hmm. I'll go out and I'll complain. And the thing that always bothers me is I always wait a few minutes into the film to see if, A, they'll rectify it themselves, or B, if someone else in this crowded theater is going to get up and do what should be done. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, I'm always the one that seems to be, the, that even cares. You are the hero I'm, I'm Yeah, but, but nobody cares. Because <laughs> it, 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 it's, nobody cares about quality at all. They paid $8 for them and three other people to go see this movie, then $50 in... Uh, popcorn and soda, but they don't care if their movie is all fuzzy. But anyway, so for Guardians of the Galaxy, it was fuzzy. It was blurry. Aww. And after a couple minutes, I'm like, oh, no one else is going to complain. I should go and complain. And I thought, no, why should I fix this for everybody? And so like an idiot, I sat there for two hours, just fuming, being pissed off, being pissed <laughs> off that this movie was blurry and no one was doing anything to uh, anything to fix it, Aww. and so I was punishing everybody by not going to. See. I think you're so, the only one. Exactly, yeah, right? Exactly, and of course I still enjoyed the enjoyed the movie because you don't really need a lot of details. But it, by the time that last scene came up, it's it was dark and it was you know blurry and I wasn't sure who it was and there was really nothing that kind of pointed to what it was. I didn't even oh. know it was a duck. But then at, immediately afterward, How it says... How blurry was this movie? It was, I mean, it's so blurry that I can't understand why nobody cared. Oh. It's, it's, it's so depressing. It was a duck. It, I couldn't. <laughs> but immediately afterwards, it said, Howard the Duck, created by, and uh, I think it was Steve Gerber and Val mm. Merrick, or, uh, uh, I might be screwing that up. Uh, and then everybody... And, well, anybody who would have cheered, cheered. Yeah. Nobody seemed to understand what it was because they couldn't tell what Aww. it was. But then after the, that thing came, the, that little uh, credit came up, everyone knew it was Howard the Duck and everyone was happy. But they didn't know. That's a good story. Oh, it's, it's, all my stories involve me being stupid. Anyway. What, what were we talking about? Oh, Defender Steve Gerber. Yeah. That's how that came up. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> From the elf with a gun to Bambi and the Bozos, Gerber wove together an unlikely cast with a challenging critique of the heiress culture. His stories would influence a generation of new writers, and with artwork by the stellar team of Sal Buscema, Sal Buscema. and Klaus Janssen, yes. Defenders is an indisputable, indisputable 1970s Marvel masterpiece. And we've topped it off with the classic Defenders slash Howard the Duck Marvel ah. Treasury Editions team-up. Need we say more? Reserve your copy today. With art restoration by Kellistration, by the way. Ooh. Yep. Yep. I didn't work on that, though. No. No? No. Oh, sorry. It's okay. That's all right. Collecting <laughs> Defenders 1972, 31 through 41, and annual 1976, number one. Marvel Masterworks Defenders Volume 5 is scheduled for release in September 16, 2015. Is that the end of that story? Yes. Good, I can move. My chair keeps squeaking, and so I'm afraid to move while you're, you're going through, but I'm getting old, and I can't sit still for very long. Make the story shorter. Uh, or I could just stand, but then I'd have to move the microphone and 
Um, and then you'd shift from foot to yeah, foot. Yeah, and then I'd complain about that, too, and yeah. I'm just old and lazy. I'm a lazy, lazy man, Roger. Who's Roger? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. From Dark Horse, Archie Archives, Volume 11, HC, is due out on July... HC is hardcover. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Is due out on July 1st, 2015. America's typical teen is back to get into way more than a typical share of trouble, and he's brought along his pals... Wait, let me guess. Jughead, Art, uh, Veronica, Betty... Uh-huh. Oh, is there more? No, oh, it just says the whole gang's at it again. Oh, that's cheap. With over 200 pages of classic gut-busting antics. Nice. Collecting Archie Comics number 35 and 36, Pep Comics number 70 and 70 through 72, and Laugh Comics number 29 through 31. Now, we worked on that on that volume too. Did you did you get to work on any of that? I don't know. Yeah, see, that's I, <laughs> we work on so much stuff. You never, you have, you, you don't know, and then, and not only that, but like when we're when you're finally up to volume eleven of uh, Archie, and we've worked on every volume so far, that you know, it's like, well, I don't remember exactly what issues of Pep I've worked on, or oh, what this issues page of Laugh, looks familiar, and, or, right, right, and of course they all look familiar because it's all pretty much it's, a, all, the same. it's all silly little jokes, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, and there's no villains or anything. It's just always Archie and Jughead falling off ladders or chasing jalopies and uh, changing tires yeah, and, or, or falling into the lake really inappropriate age inappropriate sexual innu- innuendo and uh, oh you should say well, the Archie's big boner story I don't, <laughs> I'm sure anybody who's listening to the show has already looked up all the all the ridiculous Archie uh, sexual stuff a lot of homosexual overtones in that book too mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if they're hidden or really the only uh, one that jumps out at me is the the big boner one but oh there lots of lots of like that was uh, just a language thing though oh she oh sure yeah because uh, back then boner just meant a mistake yes yeah it was just archie's big mistake but it i think i had just started working with you too and you're such a child and I yeah, and I was laughing because it said this, and I was like, "Please tell me that this is not about what I think it's about." <laughs> no, Art the old the old Archie stuff had some had some amazing amazing things, and maybe yeah, maybe I just have a childish mindset that I notice a lot of this a lot of this stuff, and I'm misreading it. But uh, yeah, there's some weird stuff. Yes. Again, I should start just collecting these things and throwing it up onto our Facebook page, and uh, you know, just putting all these little. These little weird, weird, uh, uh, inappropriate, inappropriateness. Mm-hmm. Toss it up there for the world to enjoy. We totally should. Well, I like you say, we. <laughs> I got to sit down and do all this stuff. I, I, I have a whole bunch of stuff on my, at my house. Well, put it up there. I can go through. Yeah, there I you go. I didn't think I was allowed to. Well, well, you're not, but you can send it to me, and then I'll put it up. It has to go through you first? Everything has to go through me. Oh, okay. Yes. Anyway, finish the story. <laughs> this 232-page hardcover includes the work of Bill Wogan? I think it's Wogan. Wogan? I think so. It could be Wogan. I have no idea. Scott Fleming, Ray Gill, Al... I have no idea how to say that. Figali? Oh, yeah. I think it's Figali. Pagali, 
Bill Vigoda, Sam Schwartz, and Irving Novick. I, I think Bill Vigoda is related to Abe Vigoda, that 3,000-year-old actor. You don't know who Abe Vigoda is? No. Oh, my. Who is that? He was in The Godfather. He was in the TV show Barney Miller. He had his own TV show called Fish. He had oh, like, that guy. He had like 93 children, and none of them were his. In the TV show? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want. I don't want to make it sound like I'm accusing Abe Vigoda of having a lot of illegitimate children. Oh. Yeah. Okay. No, no, I no. On, I, on the TV show, Fish. I think I know who you're talking okay. about. Okay. Yeah. Once you said Fish, I was like, oh, I think it's that. Yeah. Guy. Back in the 1970s, there was one Hispanic uh, child actor who I actually think was only Italian, and anytime they needed a, a Hispanic, they would have this kid in in there, and uh, oh. I, th- I think he was in the show. Oh. Because it was just him and Freddie Prince. There were no other Hispanics on TV that I can think of. Well, unless they were playing burglars or... I know who Freddie Prince is. You know, uh, Freddie Prince Sr., well, not yeah. Jr. Well, yeah, I knew about okay. him. All right. Yeah, it was funny, because I used to watch him when I was a kid. Hmm. But then he died. Oh. Yeah. And Joe Edwards, and includes the original <laughs> puzzle pages and ads. Which is pretty cool. And it's also a pain in the neck because when we're we restoring, <laughs> yeah, people people sit down and uh, they did all these puzzles, and we have to try to do. And, and most of the times, it's easy to figure out what was a child scribbling and what was originally printed there. But other right. times, it's it's difficult trying to figure this stuff or out. Or they do the mazes, and you have to go through and erase the pencil marks. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh. Well, and we've run into uh, we've run into uh, books where we buy. We buy a, a, a copy of the comic, and we use that to restore from, and someone will do a maze, and the little kids would cheat by, they figured out that you using an eraser, you can erase lines, and so they would erase walls that were within the, within <laughs> the maze so that they could go and do the, the maze the way that they wanted to, and so we have to try to, we have to be very careful and scrutinize all this stuff to make sure that it's not the, you know, that we're not printing the, the... Uh, cheating maze of an eight-year-old from 1946. <laughs> I always hated those puzzle pages. <laughs> All right. Well, they're all so easy, especially the connect the dots. Oh, yeah. You got the connect the dots, and there's like 70, there's 70 dots, and it's already in the shape of an elephant. Or even worse, like uh, they have 13 dots, and when you finish it, it's a balloon. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever come across that one. And I keep wondering if any child was just delighted when they were finished. Like, oh my God, it was a balloon. I'm, <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Continue. Oh, a sad story to report. Yes. The comic community lost a popular artist last week. Massachusetts-based inker Norman Lee was lost and presumed passed away. The 47-year-old Weymouth Mass artist was snorkeling with his wife in the Cayman Islands. When she returned to shore and he didn't, she reported him missing. Law enforcement as well as private search parties were unable to find Lee. Tributes for the artist poured in on social media, praising him as a friendly, loving, and caring man. Marvel Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso said in a statement to the Washington Post, We here at Marvel were saddened to hear of Norman Lee's disappearance while vacationing in the Cayman Islands this past weekend. A veteran comic book artist and anchor, Lee's work on Marvel's Avengers, Runaways, X-Men, and X-Force brought unique depth to the published page 
published page and excited fans around the world. An exceptional talent and supreme professional, Norman's premier artistic skill brought to life our characters and our hearts here at Marvel go out to Norman's loved ones. Yeah, that's a, I, uh, I met him. I met him at uh, last year's uh, New York City Con. Mm-hmm. He, he was there, and that was pretty much you. you know, we bought a bought a Batman print off off of him, and uh, yeah, of, of course, you know, seemed very nice. But I had uh, being from Massachusetts, I know a lot of people who were friends uh, friends with him, and so it was kind of uh, you know kind of a sad week hearing you know, hearing mm-hmm. people uh, hearing people talk about him and just. Uh, yeah, just yeah, reminisce a about of friends him. who are very sad about it. Yes, yes. Like, you know, uh, you know, like I said, it, it, with, with, with there's, you know, you'd be surprised how much of a comic community there is, comic creators in, mm-hmm. uh, not just in Western Massachusetts, but you know, Massachusetts and New England, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so can't help but be, you know, be part of that community. And so, even though we didn't, you know, didn't know him directly, it's, uh, you know, just. Yeah, just sending out uh, sending out good thoughts to all of our friends who uh, who lost a good friend. So. Yes. And finally, to end on a happier note, here at home, Kellistration announces its first convention appearance for 2015. Yep. Mike will be at the South Coast Toy and Comic Show on April 11th through the 12th at the Seaport Arena in Fairhaven, Mass. Which that's near the Cape. I'm pretty sure. I have no idea. I should find this out before you I go. Should. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't. He'll have all kinds of goodies for you to look at, including Lim- Little Nemo Master Series prints. Yeah, come out, take a look. They're gorgeous. A selection of Marvel Masterworks and Dark Horse Archive editions. Those are also gorgeous. As well as prints of some of Mike's work. That's also gorgeous. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of gorgeousness going on. And me. <laughs> He's done covers for Star Trek, Sergeant Fury, and his Howling Commandos. I worked on that one. Did you? Yeah. Not on the cover. Not on the cover. But the interior. But on the inside. Yeah, there you go. I yeah. know I did that. Nice. Tales to Astonish, as well as posters featuring film directors John Carpenter and Wes Craven. Yeah. Lots of sketches, original art, and scintillating? Scintillating. Conversation. Yes. So check him out on April 11th and 12th at the Seaport Arena in Fairhaven, Mass., wherever that is. Yep. The first of many conventions that Kellistration will be attending this year. Oh yeah, I'm hoping to do do a lot. So we gotta gotta keep promoting the the Master Series. Get our get our stuff out there. And this is just my year to go out there and have fun. Wee. And then spend another 10 years locked up in my room just doing more work. Like every, every 10 years, I'll come crawling out like a like a <laughs> What, like are the, what, are, what are those bugs out? that only come out of the ground every seventeen years? Oh, cicadas. Cicadas, yeah. I'm like a, I'm like an artistic cicada. Oh I just God. come out every once in a while, make a lot of noise, and then just head back underground. Or do they die? They die. Oh, then I don't want to be a cicada. I think they die. Oh. I could be talking out of my butt, but I oh. think they just. What kind of bug comes out every seventeen years and then goes back in, and probably alien from the movie Aliens? They probably. I don't know. Your, your earrings are glinting. Off of the light. Is it bad or good? Well, it's, well it's, it's not like they're so big that it's blinding me like an airplane light, but it just keeps going, like, gling, gling, gling. Yeah. Oh. It's very weird. Mike will be happy to hear that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he bought these for me. A lot of mics on this show. There are. And Too many. It gets, it gets, it, I'm sure it gets a little, con, little confusing. 
but I don't care if people are confused. Okay. Yeah. This, this yeah. mic that we're talking with did not buy me diamond earrings. You don't know that out there. They don't know. They don't need to know that. <laughs> you could buy me diamond earrings. All you need to know to. is Mike bought bought you diamond earrings. Mm -hmm. That's that's all you know. Yep. Yeah. For all you know, your husband took credit for my ticket. Did did did, did the little card say say uh, Mike Bates or just Mike? Um, probably just Mike. Right. <laughs> but I mean, See? that was like twelve years ago, so I don't know. How long have we known each other? Five. So, five six maybe. years. Two thousand ten. Mm. 2010. Yeah. That doesn't seem like it's a long time ago. I know. But it is. But it is. Yeah. Good Lord. But of course, 1993 doesn't sound like a long time ago to me. Yeah. Yeah. But it was? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. This is the kind of scintillating conversation you can look forward to. We're after getting convention. old. Oh, that's a good impression of Home Alone. From around 1993. Right? Oh. Is that <laughs> I right? I think, it, I want to say it's 94. Oh, okay. But yeah. 93, 94. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Heather Bates, and it is what it is. Thank you very much, Heather. We You're will welcome. hopefully see you next week. Bye. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Please look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and check us out at Kellistration.com. And support us by purchasing our new Master Series prints featuring Little Nemo and Slumberland. You got four 18 by 24 inch prints, and if you order now, You'll get free shipping on your next order. That's calistration.com. Okay, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.